I don't think generative AI is going to take over the world. Fortunately, uh, Skynet is Skynet's the next iteration. Hopefully, after you know we're we're pushing daisies and don't have to worry about it. But what it has done, I think, is created a sense or a need in the marketplace for companies and organizations to think about the displacement and replacement of workers. And maybe a better way of looking at it, the displacement and replacement of tasks. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Here on Status Go, we've been talking about the impact of AI, specifically generative AI, all year. Since, since really the explosion of chat GPT in January and February. But we've always looked at it from the perspective of how do you use this tool within your organization? How do you uh, put the guardrails around it within your organization? Today, we're going to look at it from a different perspective, and that is What's the impact these tools are having on tech talent and what's going to be the impact down the road in the future uh, on tech talent? As you think about the use of AI and things like Copilot, ChatGPT, BARD, and how does that fit in? Joining us today is John Light. John is the president of Sabretooth, a recruiting firm out of Houston that focuses on machine learning data engineering, data science, and developer talent. If you go looking for it, think of Sabretooth like a license plate. S-B-R, the number two, T-H, Sabretooth. It's pretty cool. Uh, so if you're trying to find it, that's the way to find it, sabretooth.com. So John, welcome to Status Go. Thanks so much, Jeff. I'm excited to be here and Hopefully get to share some of the, the nuggets of information and, and uh, information we've been gleaning from our, our client network and our candidate network as we enter into this huge shift, right? This huge transition. As I read about an article in the Harvard Business Review where the author posited that we're moving from a creator economy to something more of an editor economy. And man, the implications in that are fascinating. They are. And, and as someone who considers himself a creator, you know, an author, a writer, a speaker, I don't know that I want to be an editor, but but we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Uh, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background with our listeners. Uh, and, and also, you and I met through a mutual acquaintance, Jamie Lee, uh, Jamie out of, uh, out of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, and, uh, because he was on your podcast. So I want you to tell right. us about your show as well. So a little bit about your background, a little bit about your show. Yeah, certainly. Thanks so much for that, that window of opportunity, Jeff, because Jamie and I had, I think a great conversation that episode hasn't dropped yet. It'll drop in a few weeks, but you know, I talked to a lot of CIOs. Uh, I talked to a lot of CPOs and CHROs and CTOs and, you know, go right down the, the list of all the, I guess it, I even interviewed someone recently whose title is literally CXO. Oh even my. though even though she's in charge of marketing and of human resources, but she's the chief experience officer in this organization. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. you know, I started off life uh, a long time ago. We won't go back to the exact year. Um, <laughs> there were still people painting on cave walls, but besides the point, 
I started off life uh, in the accounting world and uh, grew through a series of positions, but figured out in about five years after college that I really wasn't cut out to be an accountant. You know, I enjoyed it when I wasn't doing accounting. I enjoyed it when I was involved in, we did a huge system migration, uh, loved the project work. We, we did this expansion project, a lot of M&A activity and things which may be related to accounting, but they weren't accounting. And that's what really got me. And then somehow accidentally stumbled into the recruitment business. I've been in it over 20 years now. And in that time, if you think of recruiting and, and the services offered as kind of a box, so you've got four corners, mm-hmm. you've got in one corner, you've got your resource uh, process outsourcing or recruiting process outsourcing, uh, your RPO. You've got another box, what we call retail staffing, where they're selling temps and they're selling, you know, uh, people to do reconciliations or other projects. And those are contract typically. Um, most of my career, even though I've worked in both of those corners, has been spent in retained search and contingent search, which is all permanent placement. And uh, Sabretooth and our podcast, Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool. Um, is I love the really, name of that. I love that. <laughs> I like the, it's funny because when the graphic first came out for the uh, the trailer that we, that we pushed out, you know, there's a desk and, and there's coffee cups everywhere and it's a mess and there's this hand grasping for, for help. But uh, they decided to do the trailer, a production company with uh, my head floating over the desk and then going back down in the thing. And <laughs> my wife saw it and she was like, are you sure you want that out there? And then my kids who the oldest is 24 and the youngest is nine, right? Then my kids saw it. They're like, that's the best. We love the yes. floating head. <laughs> so I had to go with it. Um, yeah, we got overruled, yeah. right? But but um, all that came really from a synthesis of my experience and that the models being used in the marketplace today to acquire talent are the same models that people were using in the 60s and the 70s, yeah. last century stuff. And when we surveyed the marketplace, talent acquisition execs, CHROs, CTOs, and such, what we found is the biggest concerns people have are quality of hire, the time to fill, the lack of specific technical expertise on their internal recruitment teams and the fact that they may not have the budget to go external to someone like Sabretooth. But right. what we did is we we developed a model come to market that brings some of the best of all worlds together, you know, contingent pricing, but retain service. And hmm. we've been very successful with it. We've had a hundred percent fill rate since we launched it November a year ago. Uh, and been averaging 35 days to fill from the time we, we get, the retainer end to the time that we get an accepted offer. So it's been going great to change the market a little bit and to change the loyalty of the equation because we believe in being loyal to our client rather than the transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's different. And so along the way, we've developed also drowning in the tech talent pool because we wanted not just to talk about Sabretooth per se, because we it's funny, I don't know if I've said the name more than a half dozen times, you know, recording, I think 10 or 12 episodes already. Mm-hmm. Um, rather we, we go in and focus on, well, tell us about your journey and the impact that your ability to acquire, retain, develop talent or not has had on your career and what you see it doing into the future and specifically tech talent. Cause you know, we probably, the marketplace probably overhired people in tech yes. going into the, to the lockdowns and all that stuff. And there's a rebalancing going on. And with the the ad, can I say the advent of generative AI? Um, I don't mm-hmm. think generative AI is going to take over the world. Um, 
fortunately. Uh, Skynet is Skynet's the next iteration. Hopefully, after you know, we're we're pushing daisies and don't have to worry about it. But um, what it has done, I think, is created a sense or a need in the marketplace for companies and organizations to think about the displacement and replacement of workers. Yeah. And maybe a better way of looking at it, the displacement and replacement of tasks. Right, right. Right. So we mentioned earlier, you've got your creator economy, you've got your editor economy, and we're shifting one from the, to the other. It's not so much that workers won't be needed, but workers with different skills for yes, different sir. tasks yes. will yeah. be needed. And... I don't think that's something that's going to, I think companies are waking up to something you allude, touched on and alluded to earlier that that doesn't have to happen overnight. In fact, with AI, I don't know necessarily that you want to be the absolute first mover unless you're one of the big companies like a Microsoft yeah. or a Google or a, who, yeah. you know somebody of that caliber. Um, there's a lot of risk involved, a lot of capital involved, but I do think it's going to very rapidly uh, find its way into your back pocket. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. A, a great example of that, I think, is that if I develop a uh, an outreach campaign for candidates, I can push a button based on the job description, and we've got AI wrapped into our applicant tracking system that generates that for us. Now, it'll do eighty percent of it. I got to go in and do the rest. I got to make sure the syntax yeah, is right. Yeah. I don't want it sounding too spammy, but I can produce in, in a couple heartbeats a nine-step outreach program with emails, text, social media, and phone activities built in. And I don't have to sit down and do it myself, the, the build yeah. the guts of it. I think that's the real power in this thing, right? right? Is it, it doesn't do all the work, but it definitely gives you a jump start on doing some of that work. Well, what it should do, I think, my personal opinion, and I've thought this from the jump, I think it should be applied in such a way as to allow us to be more of what we are. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. So you ever do one of those like strength finder tests, you know, we're doing a oh, yeah. disc yeah. assessment and you're like, well, we, or my, was it Myers-Briggs? Hello, you're, you know, ESTJ or you're this or this or that. Yeah, you yeah, categorize yeah. people and you, you hear somebody, you used to hear people come up and say, well, you need to work on this area. You know, this is a weakness for you. My mindset has shifted over, over the years. And I'm like, phooey. I don't want to work on the weakness, except when I want to work on the weakness, it's weak because I don't like doing it in the first place, a la accounting. <laughs> um, but, but if I could have something else handle that repetitive, tedious, I don't want to do a task and turn my daily limited amount of energy yeah, yeah. into being more of what I am, being more of my strengths, being more of what I excel at, then I think there's the opportunity for a huge win. Um, not just for a solopreneur or a small organization, but all the way up uh, to the great big organizations, because in theory, we should get more bang for our buck of people doing what we want them to do rather than doing the stuff that just is, it's filling because somebody's got to do yeah. it. Well, one I can't remember where I read this. It was either on your LinkedIn or it was on your website, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it had the tagline, the tech talent ecosystem is rapidly changing yes. and Sabretooth is evolving with it. First of all, I love words uh, <laughs> and, and, and I love the word evolving um, rather than repeating changing. So I think 
point that out was interesting. So when you think about the tech talent pool uh, in 2023, how is it changing? What things are happening that you're seeing from your seat that are going to be impactful for our listeners in 2024? Yeah, no, that's a great, it's a great line of questioning. And let me, as a side note, uh, you know, when we first looked at Sabretooth and you think smile it on Fatalis, you know, okay. Sabretooth tiger, not around anymore. It's bubbling somewhere in the depths of the La Brea tar pit still, you know, <laughs> wherever, wherever it might be, but it, it's either going to change over time, which is the definition of evolution or, or it's mm-hmm. not. And yeah, yeah. I think we're at a point in time as far, insofar as the talent pool goes, tech talent specifically, but you can apply this in a lot of areas because when the, when the big companies for the last year and a half were laying off hundreds of thousands of people, they right. weren't going around laying off stacks of coders and developers. They were laying off a lot of people that were administrative in nature. They were laying off a lot of recruiting staff, a lot of this and a lot of that. Um, so it wasn't just, let me, Hey, I don't need 12 Python developers. I can live with two. Well, guess what? Now the market's changed where I can use generative AI to produce 80% of my code and I don't need 10 developers. I need two who are going to go in and edit. These are going to be probably my more experienced and efficient people who are going to go in there and figure this stuff out. So the, the 10 who, who are let go or pushed to another direction, I think there is. I think companies need to come to the realization that they have an obligation when you have talent that's done a good job for you to give them the opportunity to upskill, to evolve themselves. One of the hardest things to do, in my opinion, I I place a high premium when when we do a a search for a client. I like people who are resourceful, who are resilient, Mm -hmm. who align culturally in terms of how they go about what they do with the organization. But I also like somebody who's demonstrated the ability to reinvent themselves. Yeah. And by that, we're really saying somebody who has shown the ability to adapt to changes in the market, to evolve. And Mm -hmm. I think companies have this massive, massive pathway of opportunity that if I can go in and if if I, if the budget powers that be tell me I have to let go of, of 10 of those people, I would push back with, Hey, I can upskill, help upskill and repurpose these 10 people into these six different categories that we know we have needs for going ahead. The challenge is identifying those needs and having the willingness to invest in people to upskill. And I don't want to tell people to, hey, you have to go listen to this or anything. But the very first episode we dropped on Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool is with a guy who started off at Amazon, was you know first person I hired in India or third person I hired in India. And a decade later, he's a CTO at Sears, which, you know, wholly different environment. Yeah. And instead of going out to attract talent, he had to adapt and develop the talent he had internally because they still operated on mainframes. And they had a grand total of one person in the building who understood how it all came together. Well, you just can't use and abuse that person. Right. Right. right, right. And so they developed a tailored upskill program and and got him in a different direction in his career that helped him out tremendously. And I think a lot of that needs to happen as we figure out the applications for AI. Um, The other thing that's going in the marketplace, and this is also, I think this is from the company perspective as well as from the candidate perspective, there's this massive rebalancing that is occurring. 
and by rebalancing, we're determining what we really need or not. And so there's this glut of hiring three years ago. Then there's this big wave of layoffs that yeah. is funny because it didn't just hit one wave of layoffs. It kept going and going because I think companies didn't have a target. And right. I think they, didn't, they that, didn't have what they were trying to build in mind. Yeah. And I think that's where we've been over the summer and spring here in 23 is everybody's going, you know, uh, hey, so what are you doing today? Oh, no, but hey, what are you doing today? And we try to figure out, you know, how all of this is going to come together. I think those are the big challenges uh, going to the marketplace today is one of the reasons being uh, very difficult for a lot of people to, to get squared away on their next step or for companies to determine their next steps as well. Well, John, we're going to pause right there for a word from InterVision Systems. Uh, InterVision is the publisher of the Status Go podcast. Unlock the power of more with InterVision Systems. We provide the cutting edge technology and expert guidance you need to take your business to the next level. Don't settle for less. Choose InterVision Systems and discover what's possible. Contact us now to learn more. And if you do want to learn more, visit intervision.com. You'll be able to find out information about the services offered and how they can help you transform your business through the evolutionary power of technology. Today, we're talking about attracting and retaining talent, but, but with a twist. We've been talking a lot about AI and the impact of AI on our businesses. Today, we're talking with John Light of Sabretooth about the impact of AI on attracting and retaining talent, on hiring. Uh, and before the break, John was talking about some of the trends that have impacted hiring here in 2023. We're going to shift a little bit and talk more about the future and some of the things that we believe will start to happen in the tech talent market as a result of having access to these tools like large language models, generative AI, conversational AI. So John, when you and I met a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, a phenomenon that, that you believe will start to happen in the marketplace. Uh, and that is, I, I think you used the phrase specialization in your vocation. Could you tell us a little bit about yeah. what you mean by that and what some of the impacts that will bring to the tech talent market? Yeah, no, certainly. I think, Jeff, there's a, <clears throat> if you look back on, on the history and development of business and markets, you know, a recurring theme is every time there's a great leap, there's a step forward. You know, we go from an agricultural society to an industrial society. Uh, there are increases in efficiency, but there's this opportunity for people to become more specialized. And you can go all the way back to caveman days, mm -hmm. right? It, when people developed things like technology, the wheel, um, you know, the Archimedes screw, you know, all these other things, catapults, they had to invest time and energy into developing those things that they now could not develop their grocery list. They can't go plant a crop because they have this, we had to have the ability to give people time for leisure and to give people time and resources for innovation. AI presents one of those generational opportunities, I think, 
where now we can be more of what we are, what we, what we focus on our strengths, we can become more mm -hmm. specialized. And so I think there's going to be a wave of, of, uh, entrepreneurialism. I think there's going to be a wave of specialization. You know, it's been a big thing and you can go on the web and find company after company that I'm your fractional CHRO or your CMO or your fractional this or that. We're about to have a lot of fractionality. You think we had a lot before we're about, we have the potential for a lot more. Um, I don't have to, I hung a shingle out, uh, and it's a little bit of a long story and, and built another firm in 2017, 2018 timeframe. And I did most of the work building the website and everything like that using things like, yeah, uh, Upwork yeah. and Fiverr, uh, you know, because I didn't need a full-time webmaster. I didn't need a full-time X, Y, you know, someone to design the logo and all that. But if I understood the overall business and how the pieces all came together, I could do it by bringing in very specialized fractional talent and theoretically at a yeah, fraction yeah. of the cost. And we know it doesn't quite work out that way, but you know, I think there's going to be opportunities for people to be more of that. But I also think there's going to be opportunities to pe for people to be more innovative. What AI doesn't do, AI doesn't, now people will talk about generative AI, well, it creates new content. Yeah, it does, but it's more like it synthesizes yeah. it based on the data sets you've presented it and the adaptive algorithms that predict, okay, this is what a picture will look like if I combine these elements. Not that if I create these elements, yeah. but if I yeah. combine from these data sets I've been fed, there's still a huge amount of room, and there will be for a long time, I believe, for the innovation of, of human yeah. beings. And you know, if you're in accounting, so I can pick on that because I'm a member of AA, Accounts <laughs> I'm recovering still. Um, I have the bald head. That's what I came out with. <laughs> I didn't get the rest of the good stuff. Um, but if I kind of look at that, you know, well, how do you, how are you innovative in accounting? Well, it might right. not be in accounting. Right. It, it might be you evolve and you go into marketing or you go into logistics and procurement, or you go into whatever else it might be. And that's where things are going to get really interesting and very hard to predict is, what are the what are the educational pathways and the career pathways that will be making sense five years from now versus what makes sense today? If you want to go run a company and you're going into college, should you go get a degree in literature or should you get a degree in finance or maybe an MBA in finance and an undergrad in engineering or whatever it might be? There are strong options available for people because we understand those pathways and what they'll be doing. But where's that five years from now? I mean, engineering is still going to be valuable. Um, so are airline pilots. I'm not ready to trust <laughs> my flights to a robot overlord at this juncture. Um, but, but where's it going to go? Who's going to direct the circus, so to speak. And my fear is there's a segment of the talent market potentially could get left behind. Yeah. And I would encourage anyone in the talent market to consider that now's the time you need to be putting thinking forward, leaning into what tomorrow could look like. Yeah. Right. I think that's going to be a huge issue, but on the upside of it, I look at, so I look at a mirror, you know, I don't see, I have a, my beard is white, but when I look in the mirror, I still see what it was when I was 25. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad just, I'm not the only one. That better. That. <laughs> <laughs> and then every time I look and I'm seeing myself on the screen right now, I'm like, man, 
Oh, it's horrid. <laughs> He's old. But this is a, a time, I think, where people uh, who are Gen Xers, like I am, for example, you have this great opportunity to reinvent yeah. yourself. You know, you don't have to be married to the past in terms of relative to what the future could look like from a professional standpoint. And because there's still runway in the Gen Xers yeah. career. And so why not? Yeah. Why not? You know, I don't have to sit there. And I think, you know, you look at a system like an SAP or an Oracle. Let me give this an example. And I know SAP, I read an article on it a while back. They're investing an incredible amount of money in AI. I can imagine the day where SAP is simply a program, an application. They come into your company. They have somebody who helps come in and make sure all your data is structured a certain way. They drop this bad boy off and it self-develops everything from that point forward based on the data that was already there. And wham, bam, you have a system. You don't really need an implementer. You need somebody to light the fuse. Get the data straight, light the fuse, get out the way. And you come in the next day and you have a whole new ERP sitting there across your whole company because it's it's self-populated and generated because that's what the adaptive algorithms Mm -hmm. do based on the information that's been given, the parameters that have been put into it. so you have to ask yourself, if I'm running around implementing SAP today, I'm a project manager, or step down or whatever, right. what am I going to do tomorrow if that becomes the reality? And so take the time now to start thinking, I would say, about what excites yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know. Where are your passions? And because and the frontier, now the frontier right now mm-hmm. is right now. Well, I, I think the other, the other interesting thing, I, I've been preaching for years about uh, I, I've called it the verticalization of IT roles. In, in other words, uh, right. you know, if you're in uh, if you're in IT for a retail company, you're gonna you're going to need to know so much about how retail operates that this day these days of jumping from one vertical to another are fast uh, getting behind us. Healthcare IT is a perfect example, right? It's really difficult for Mm -hmm. someone without healthcare IT in their background to get into healthcare IT uh, because of the specialization of knowledge. And I think one of the things that that you talked about, John, was this, I'll call it this combination uh, uh, meteorologist and data scientist uh, where, where the Oh yeah, yeah the fusion. The fusion. So, talk to us it. a little bit about what you're seeing there, uh, and uh, as people are thinking about their role in the future, how they confuse these things together. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because I found years and years ago what I started calling fusion roles were because I started off doing finance and accounting uh, placement mm-hmm. work, right? And I would find somebody who's an expert or would be relatively an expert in, say, financial reporting for a large company, uh, a Shell, a BP, an Exxon, whoever it might be. And they would have expertise as a power super user in a specific ERP. But companies who are implementing and updating that specific ERP, maybe a competitor company or near competitor, they needed people who could bridge the gap between their financial reporting needs and their, their FP&A needs as well as, you know, their needs on the ERP side. So I needed people who could fuse these mm-hmm. things together. And so I had a lot of luck, had a great time placing CPAs and senior FP&A uh, leaders in, uh, that had specific ERP expertise to, to bridge that gap. Fast forward to today, um, and I started going full bore into tech a few years ago and realizing that tech and IT have overlap and 
and tech is dependent on mm -hmm. IT, but they're not specifically the same thing right. in total. Um, it, but your your idea that hey, specialization is critical in areas like healthcare and whatnot, absolutely. Um, what I think is going to happen is people who have specific expertise are going to be asked to bring that expertise into machine learning and mm -hmm. into AI. And it traditionally, that's something that takes a lot of labor because you need a development team, you need this and you need that. Well, imagine having a development team that knows your industry backwards right. and forwards right. and somebody comes in and knows a piece of it backwards and forward. Um, so I've been working with a, a number of clients this year, including uh, uh, trading entities, trading firms that need to understand and predict weather and weather mm -hmm. anomalies. Okay, so think power trading and, and things of that nature, but you could apply that to you know, oil trading, gas trading. You can apply that to uh, uh, fertilizer yeah. trading, whatever it, whatever it might be, right? But you know, one of the roles that that really intrigued me was finding a an experienced meteorologist in forecasting who had exposure and understood. You don't have to be an expert by any stretch, but maybe they in college they worked in MATLAB or they've developed models in Python. And they could communicate with a development team to bring their expertise in meteorology and forecasting into a machine learning model that then delivers analytics to drive their yeah. trading firm forward and take the flying by your seat of your pants in a trade out of the equation in as much as you can. Get rid of your own biases and go in there and be as straightforward as like, okay, this trade's going to win X percent out of the time you know, and other times it's not going to win, but on the whole, this, this works. And so uh, I think there's great opportunity for this. It's kind of like uh, when I was in college, I thought about going to law school and I sat, took the LSAT, did real well. And then I looked at what it cost <laughs> and kind of said, you know, well, I don't think so. Right. But I remember talking to some attorneys who told me, you know, if you're going to do that, the best advice I can give you is that the best advice I could give you is number one, don't, be, yeah, don't yeah, become a lawyer. Yeah. That's what, that's what everybody told me. Um, the second best advice, if you're going to do that, get a technical level of technical expertise, mm -hmm. you know, chemical engineering and go get your JD on top of that. And now you have this fusion of law and the legal process and everything with this chemical right. engineering knowledge. And you think about what that opens up for you. That's not open for the person who goes and gets a general studies degree or history or whatever. And they go get a JD yeah, on top yeah. of it. And I remember I audited a class at the, the South Texas college of law with my cousin who was in, uh, in law school at that point. And it was a tax class. It was the first one. I was studying for the CPA exam at the time. And I sat back, I had the giggles the entire class. I mean, literally the giggles in my early twenties sitting there watching people, you know, what's a debit? What's a credit? You know, what's the uh, difference between, you know, all this, what's a defer, defer what jail? No, defer the tax liability. Yeah. What's a liability? I mean, it, and it was, it was humorous because these are people and some of them, I'm sure there's some that came out of that class who today are, are tax attorneys. Mm -hmm. Well, if you find one of them, I don't know, maybe light a candle and, and yeah. sacrifice yeah. a bucket of Colonel Sanders best chicken, you know, for right voodoo. Well, but, well, I think well, that's even, where we're going. Even I think using that law example, even learning uh, some level of coding, you know, with blockchain and smart contracts, we now have uh, we now have coding embedded in for contract attorneys uh, being able mm -hmm. to do that. Well, well, John, we are we are out of time. This time has just flown by. I've loved the conversation. 
Here on Status Go, we love to leave our listeners with a, a pretty specific call to action. So I, I want to ask you, what are one or two things that our listeners should go do tomorrow because they listened to our conversation today? Well, I've probably got a handful of answers. For <laughs> you got to pick the but, top two, man. You got to pick the top yeah, two. <laughs> <laughs> got to pick the top two, right. Yeah. Um, well, they've already heard about, hey, you're, you're you know, welcome to Chase Me Town at yep. Sabretooth.com. But I will tell you this. I think the people who are learning and innovating in this new frontier that's that's developing in front of us have a huge advantage. And so while I don't think a company needs to run out and start implementing AI willy-nilly tomorrow, okay, I do think the people who are going to drive that process need to make sure they're educated, up to speed, and they understand the pitfalls and the opportunities as, as clearly as they can. And, and that takes research, it takes diligence over time, investing yourself and in, in learning. Um, and the other thing I would recommend people do as well is start giving some thought to the talent on your teams. As you start figuring out how we're going to apply AI, start figuring out how can I apply this talent? And that may be something that requires a lot of conversation mm -hmm. with individuals um, I don't think it would be prudent to go around scaring people like, hey, we're going to make changes right. at the end of the year. Um, but I do think it's like, hey, what do you think about this and where it's going? What are your thoughts on it? And start the synthesizing a path forward for your talent and your organization and you as well uh, to evolve with the evolving yeah. marketplace. Because if you don't, it's going to rise up and take you down and you're going to sink down to the bottom of the, the tar pits, just like the old Smilodon Fatalis, which we are not Smilodon <laughs> Fatalis. I, I, I love that, John, especially when you, when you think about uh, identifying the skills that you're going to need in the future and mapping your current set of, of human resources, your people, mapping them to those skills and helping them see a path forward for themselves. Uh, I think as leaders, that's a that is a huge, huge step for us to take with our with our teams. Oh, think about the think about the loyalty, absolutely, and and the desire to think. Wow, not only am I investing myself in this organization as an employee here, as a contributor, but now the leadership in this organization is investing yeah. in me in a very real and tangible, impactful way that could not just impact them at your company, but decades yes. into the future. Yes. And I would, I would make this one suggestion, this one caveat with it, you know, and it depends, I think to a degree on the investment made in each person. But you know, when, when a company typically pays for someone to go get a master's degree or, or whatever, they have a clawback right, right. in there. When it comes to, to upskilling and helping people find a, a pathway forward, that's likely related to where they are today. Mm -hmm. Don't hold yeah, it over their yeah, heads. Yeah. If they if they decide to go elsewhere, they decide to take their career elsewhere, pat them on the back, say congratulations. And just remember, no matter what AI does in this world and no matter how many people are in this world, this yes. is a small world after all. And you got to you know, treat people in a way that, that echoes and that reflects 
uh, your your character, your personality, and frankly, the culture yeah. of your organization. Yeah, absolutely. Well, John, I got to thank you for being on the podcast today. Uh, thank you for reaching out. And thanks to our buddy, Jamie Lee, for introducing us in the first place. This has been a absolutely. great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Jeff, for the opportunity and uh, the platform and putting up with some long-winded answers uh, as we try to figure this, figure this out. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information, and we'll be sure to provide a link to Sabretooth as well as to the podcast. And uh, that way you can go listen to that first episode that John mentioned earlier in our conversation. This is Jeff Tun for John Light. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.